Hey guys, Dr. Sugarman again. I just want to say thank you to everybody who has been listening and kind of like learning along with me. I'm learning how to do all of these podcasting things and learning GarageBand and all these things that I have never had to do before. You know, I've always known how to do medicine and this is definitely very new to me. So I just want to say thank you to everybody and I hope everybody is getting a lot out of these. Again, if you have any questions, any comments, you want me to change something, you want some new topic, you want anything you want, just let me know. I'm I'm happy to to do whatever it is that you guys want that will make this better for you and to just help you learn. So I took another request for today. I'm going to be doing collapsing trachea for today. And uh, so collapsing trachea is really interesting because it can be something that is widely varied for like how it looks or like at least how severe this can be. So this is, this can be typically how it starts is going to be like a dry honking cough. We call it like a goose honking. It's really deep, uh, really dry. And people think that they're choking on something very commonly, but it's just like this really deep cough. This usually occurs in our middle-aged and older small breed dogs. So this is going to be like our Yorkies, Pomeranians, Pugs, Toy Poodles, Maltese, and Chihuahuas are most common breeds. But pretty much any smaller breed of dog is, is typical. Um, it is common more in obese dogs, and we'll kind of describe why that is later on. And like I said, this this can really vary. So it, it worsens and the cough worsens as the degree, as the disease progresses. And it can get to it being very life-threatening towards the end, unfortunately. Uh, there's lots of things that can exacerbate this and we'll, and we'll kind of again, kind of describe why later on, but these things can be from like warm weather. So we might see this more now in the, the winter than we would in the, sorry, in the summer than we would in the winter. Uh, it can be from excitement, from stress, from exercise, from pulling on the collar, um, from really strong scents. So like, let's say those um, dogs that, that, or live in a household that has a lot of cigarettes or that live in a household that has those senses that they use, those candles that they use that have really strong scents, or even after somebody's mopped the floor with a really strong smelling scent. Because think about how close to the ground these dogs are and just them inhaling those scents can be really strong and hard on them. And it could also be from things even from like allergies as well. So what are the typical things that we're seeing when they're brought in? So let's say a dog gets brought in and um, let's say it's actually a brisket who's brought in. Alicia's dog, you know, maybe she comes in and she's like, he's making this terrible honking cough. You know, we listen to him. He sounds fine. His, we listen to his heart. We listen to his lungs. Uh, you, you palpate or just feel his trachea. And he's not coughing. He sounds great. There's no heart murmur. There's no crackles. There's no wheezes in his lungs. He sounds great. He looks great. He looks 100% normal. That is actually typically what we see on most of our exams for dogs who have collapsing trachea. They look 100% normal. It's just going off of that, that description of what the owner says. So, you know, Alicia comes in and she's like, he's making this terrible honking cough. There are lots of other differentials as well, but that's kind of the one of the main things. He's a Pomeranian. If anybody knows Brisket, I'm sure everybody does. He's quite famous, right? But, you know, he's a Pomeranian. He is a small breed. He is very prone to getting collapsing trachea. And that's going to be one of the very first clinical signs of this is a goose honk. The, or this could be that, let's say, Jordan, right afterwards, brings back, you know, while we've, right after we've examined brisket, brings back this dog, this chihuahua, that is in severe respiratory distress. It is, um, you know, cyanotic, meaning that its mucous membranes are blue. It's dyspneic, meaning that it can't breathe. And it's tachypneic, meaning that its respiratory rate is very fast. 
it's not coughing. It's not honking. It just cannot breathe, right? So it can go from like just a very simple cough to it being so severe that we can't, we, the dog can't breathe at all. In those two situations, sometimes you'd be able to elicit a cough just by palpating or, or feeling the dog's trachea. Like let's say on brisket, we couldn't elicit a cough, but maybe on the chihuahua, I push on the trachea, maybe I could elicit a cough. Or maybe we bring in a third dog who's somewhere in between in that disease, and I push on the trachea, and you might be able to elicit a cough. It really just kind of depends. So I'm going to kind of go over the anatomy of the dog real quick before I describe like what is happening, like what is a collapsing trachea. So in the dog, if you kind of imagine, and I'll try to put up a picture of this as well, if you imagine you have the mouth, right? And then it goes to the little hole into the mouth called the epiglottis or the larynx. That's going to go that like, that's what we intubate. Like that's what we're going to put a tube down into to be able to let the dog breathe. <clears throat> if for anybody who's helped me intubate. And then that's going to go to the trachea. So the trachea is the windpipe versus the esophagus, which is going to be the food pipe. So that goes from the trachea down into the lungs. The trachea is really pretty long. So the trachea extends from like pretty much where the mouth is basically all the way down the neck into the chest so like even past where like where the clavicle is or where the shoulders are that's about where the trachea is going to be stopping and then after that it goes into the main stem bronchi or some or other people call it the primary bronchi it's just the very first tubes of the the lungs where you're going to get air into and then it goes into the secondary bronchi which are just smaller offshoots of the lungs or of the bronchi into the lungs and then the tertiary bronchi which again are even smaller and then to the alveoli which are where all of our gas is exchanged just, just think of it as like this little ball where you can get oxygen in and co2 out it's just like this little ball that that where all of our breathing actually occurs but the trachea is going to be the big part that's going to be necessary for our collapsing trachea, but also all those bronchi are going to be important later on as well. So the trachea, like I said, is mostly going to be in the neck, but also in the chest portion as well. So what happens? So why are these little dogs doing it? Why aren't bigger dogs doing it? You know, the real question is, we're not 100% sure, but what we do know what happens is that there are flattening of the tracheal rings, um, or there can be this, this, this membrane that kind of, it kind of like pulls into the trachea. So the trachea itself is like a tube, and three quarters of it is made out of cartilage. Cartilage is supposed to be really strong, not as strong as bone, but pretty strong still, right? Like it's not terribly flexible. It's supposed to be able to hold everything together so that it makes still a nice tube. But then the top portion of it, or dorsal, dorsal is top, the dorsal portion of it is made out of a muscle. And those cartilage rings can sometimes become, you know, kind of softened. And if those softening of those rings happens, then it then instead of a tube, it becomes more like a flat pancake. And that's really difficult to be able to get air in and out of. So if you're thinking of like, think about like a hose, right? If you tried to put water through a hose, that's a nice tube, water's going to flow really easily. But if you tried to put, a, put water through something that's just a flat pancake, it's not going to move as easily because nothing's able to get through. It's the same same concept for that. Or if you're thinking about something like a straw, if you were to put, you know, we have a straw for a drink that's nice and round for that reason, so you can drink the water and be able to get what movement of water up and down that straw through that tube very easily without any resistance. Now, if I was to give you a balloon, a flat balloon that doesn't have any air in it, and ask you to drink water through that balloon, you'd have a much harder time doing that because as you go to suck that water up, 
that balloon is just going to flatten even more. It's not going to be able to be nice and round for you to be able to suck that water up. We have the same problem here. The other, so like I said, part of that is that those rings might flatten. And so it makes it so that that trachea collapses. The other part of this could be that those rings might be okay, but that muscle on top could start to dip down. So when you think about like older people, you know, there's all those cartoons of um, old people where their muscle, they go to flex their muscle and their muscle falls to the ground, right? (laughs) That's kind of what this does is that muscle falls, all of the muscles sag. And so that muscle sags into that space. So instead of it being a nice round tube, now you have kind of more like a heart shaped. And again, it's really difficult to be able to like, again, with that that straw analogy, if I try to suck water up that straw, that's now kind of more in the shape of a heart. As soon as you put pressure on that straw to suck up that water, it's just going to suck that that corner piece of that heart against against the that um, that cartilage, and it's going to be much more difficult to do that. Which means that when the dog's breathing, it's much more difficult to be able to get that air in. Um, like I said, this is a progressive disease, so we know that it's just going to start out as as just like a little bit of collapse of the trachea or a little bit of collapse of the muscle, and then eventually, as this gets worse and worse, that collapse gets bigger and bigger. Um, and then that also means that the lumen or the size of the trachea gets smaller and smaller, which decreases the amount of air that the dog can get in. The other interesting thing is where this occurs. So I was talking about how the trachea, there is part of the trachea is in the neck and part of the trachea is in the chest or the thorax. So depending on kind of the pressure changes of things depends on like where the trachea is being collapsed. So they have the cervical trachea, that's the trachea in the neck. During when they inspire or they breathe in, that's the part in the neck that actually collapses more because the pressure in the neck when they breathe in is greater than in the pressure in their chest. But the pressure in their chest is greater when they breathe out than the pressure in their neck. So it depends on like what part of the cycle they're in as to what part of the trachea might actually be the part that's collapsing. That's important for a couple of reasons. Let's say when you're getting your x-rays, if you get the dog breathing in, maybe the dog has a has collapsing trachea in its chest, but you got the part that's breathing in. So you'd only get a collapsing trachea if it was in the neck, but you wouldn't get it if it was in the chest. Let's say maybe you got the trach, you know, the x-ray of the dog when it was breathing out. Well, you'd only get a collapsing trachea if it was in the chest. You wouldn't get it if it was in the neck. Maybe you got the dog breathing when it was like in the middle of the breathing. You wouldn't really get the collapsing trachea from really either of them. So it's really interesting just like how there's different pressure changes and it can actually show different portions of like where where this might be. All right. And then, so like, why does this happen? Like I said, we don't know why. Uh, we don't 100% know why. It, there has to be some sort of genetic component to it, right? Because we know like small dogs have it. They do think that there's a lot of multifactorial things um, that we'll discuss in kind of a minute, like what are these other complicating factors. They do also think that some dogs have like a reduced glycoaminoglycan. It's just basically like this protein that you have in your cartilage that they that they think that small breed dogs have less of it sometimes than other dogs which is kind of a weird theory because that would mean that they'd have less cartilage overall in all of their joints because they'd have cartilage in a lot of their joints. And so they can't really say for sure that that's what it is, but they think some dogs might have it. It's it's a weird theory. They just don't know. That's the big problem is we just don't know. All right, so what are some of these complicating factors? So one of the ones we talked about was obesity, right? These dogs that are really obese. So when I was talking about the fact that we have this tube for the trachea, 
And you have that muscle that's on top there, right? Now think about it, you have a muscle and I have a whole bunch of fat pushing on that muscle. That's going to make it even harder for that muscle to stay up and it's going to sink even more. So if you have a whole bunch of fat pushing on around your straw, it's impossible for your straw to be to stay just as a nice circle and it's going to collapse in on it on itself. So that's one big reason is to try to help help these dogs to lose weight because we want to try to decrease the amount of fat that's around that as well. Another big thing is brachycephalic syndrome. So all of those flat-faced dogs, they get brachycephalic syndrome. It's kind of where their face is really flat. Um, they have, if you put your tongue up on the top, the roof of your mouth, the hard thing is called your hard palate. And then right behind there, you feel the soft thing that's called your soft palate. That soft palate, when you breathe, when the dogs uh, with brachycephalic syndrome are breathing in, it's really um, stressful on that soft palate and it actually makes it elongated. It kind of sits over their epiglottis, which is that thing we were talking about that leads to the trachea. And then also they have like, oh, there's a lot of stuff that's going on in them. But those are kind of like the big things that are kind of leading to the fact that we have a, we have more increased pressure now on the trachea to breathe in. And so they are going to be a lot more likely to have this collapsing trachea, uh, especially in the cervical trachea or the trachea in the neck, because we talked about how they inspire or breathe in and they have collapsing trachea in their cervical trachea. So brachycephalic syndrome is a big cause of this as well. And then other weird multifactorial things are like they could have other diseases that are going to cause this. So like if you have, or at least are going to exacerbate it. So they might not be the cause of your collapsing trachea, but they're more commonly going to have like, let's say collapsing trachea. So like, let's say brisket has collapsing trachea, you know, that we've diagnosed hopefully in like 20 years, right? But hopefully like, let's say we've diagnosed his collapsing trachea and then but we also and, it, and it's fine at first but then like two years later we diagnose him with something else these are those things that we are, are going to diagnose him with that's something else because they're usually going to lead to him having something else that's going to be diagnosed with it it's not going to lead to him having collapsing trachea but that collapsing trachea usually means he would be diagnosed with a different problem as well so those other problems are usually going to be something like a lower airway disease, like bronchitis. Lower airway just usually means that it's somewhere in the lungs. Um, so a lot of times when we're doing our physical exam, we'll hear crackles on them. Uh, you, and it might not be in the whole lungs, like you might hear it just in one specific spot. Um, this could be that we have an upper airway disease. So or upper and lower airway disease. So upper airway disease is going to be things like an uh, like a an upper airway infection, you know, so some sort of like a, something like a cold basically. And you can have upper and airway disease. And so that is called that has a really interesting unique name to the way that their breathing is called. It's called Sturter and Strider. And that's just the way that you hear the breathing. So dogs who have like a, who have laryngeal paralysis, if you ever heard them, the way that they breathe and they can't really breathe, that's called strider versus the opposite of that is like the bulldogs who then they can't breathe, that's called sturder. So theirs is more like an upper airway and strider is more ki kind of a lower airway. It's a little bit harder to describe, but, but they, that really difficult breathing might be an upper and a lower airway disease problem. They might have a heart murmur, and unfortunately, like things, dogs like Pomeranians and Chihuahuas, you know, they're more likely to have a heart murmur, especially on the left side, and more likely to have a large heart. They've done a lot of studies to try to figure out, like, is a heart murmur and a heart problem something that could lead to um, a collapsing trachea, or the opposite side of that is a collapsing trachea, something that could lead to an enlarged heart, which is called cardiomegaly, by the way, an enlarged heart. But 
they've they've not been able to find out if that really is true like do they does one lead to the to the other there's just it's it's almost impossible to know and then the next big thing is laryngeal paralysis so laryngeal paralysis is something we more commonly find in our labradors if anybody's seen like those dogs those big labradors that come in and they have a really hard time breathing and we put them on oxygen and you can just hear it in their breathing they just you can just hear this like weird wheezing sound they can't breathe you know they said it's more commonly diagnosed in labradors but it can also be found in these dogs with collapsing trachea as well so with these dogs with collapsing trachea, sometimes we have to intubate them. And when we intubate them, so putting the tube down their throat to be able to make help them breathe, we might see that they also have uh, laryngeal paralysis as well, which I've seen, unfortunately, in a number of, of these collapsing trachea dogs. The next big thing we'll find is bronchial collapse. So we're talking about, this is that going back to our anatomy, we're talking about how we have the trachea, that goes into the bronchi, that goes into the primary bronchi, and then the secondary bronchi, and then the tertiary bronchi. Luckily, they just called them all the bronchi, because like if they had just called them all these weird names, I would just never remember any of those. But if they, you know, with all of these little bronchi, when it comes down to these little teeny, teeny, tiny little tubes, those can flatten really easily, just like our trachea, how it flattened, so our straw that flattened. You can have the same thing that happens in the bronchi that they just like flatten. And that's a lower airway problem, but, and they're really hard to see on an x-ray, but we have to find them when they're breathing out um, rather than breathing in on an x-ray. So again, like we might not be able to catch it unless they're breathing out specifically. And then the last big one is pulmonary hypertension. All right, so with pulmonary hypertension, this is more like when we're dealing with congestive heart failure that we have to deal with this. So you have to bear with me while I'm trying to explain this. So there's the heart that pumps out blood through a vessel called the pulmonary artery. Okay, That pulmonary vessel causes a lot of pressure up there and it makes it so that you can't get enough blood flow out to the rest of the body and when that happens it makes it difficult for the dog to be able to breathe and it makes the heart become bigger and they can go into heart failure from it lots lots of problems can occur from it but your blood contains oxygen and you need oxygen in order to be able to breathe. So if you can't get enough blood out to your body, you're not going to be able to breathe. And if you can't get enough blood back to your lungs, you can't be able to make that oxygen exchange. And if you can't get enough blood to your lungs and you can't get enough oxygen to your blood, then you can't breathe. Like these three things need to happen. You have to have air get into your lungs to get to the blood. You have to have blood to get to your lungs and you have to have blood that has oxygen go out to the rest of your body in order for your body to be able to breathe, essentially. So with pulmonary hypertension, if you can't get enough blood out because there's just too much pressure there, you're not going to be able to make that oxygen exchange. And I'll kind of kind of get into like why that's a little bit important later on. But, but pulmonary hypertension is another big one that sometimes we have to deal with. And it can be really difficult to diagnose. So oh, now to diagnosis, like how do we diagnose a, a uh, collapsing trachea? So we talked about already a little bit. I kind of talked about x-rays. So x-rays or radiographs, usually you want to get the neck and the thorax. So that's called cervical and thoracic x-rays. Uh, this isn't always a definitive diagnosis. Like I said, this is just a snapshot in time. Like literally, like if I took a picture of you while you were, let's say, drinking a cup of tea. I didn't take a picture of you making the tea, so I don't know what kind of tea you made, right? All I took a picture of was 
you're drinking a cup of tea. I couldn't tell you you were drinking a cup of tea. All I see is you're drinking a cup of something in a teacup. I have to infer that it's a cup of tea. I don't know if you're drinking vodka. I don't know if you're drinking an energy drink. I have no idea, right? All I see is in this picture, you're drinking something. You could be drinking air for all I know. Who knows? This is the same problem with x-rays. I'm taking a snapshot in time. So I can only see when we take that x-ray, what is happening in that dog at that very millisecond. So if that dog's trachea does not collapse at that very millisecond, there's no way we're going to see that on an x-ray. And so we just talked about how if the dog inhales, we're going to see it in more in the neck. And if the dog exhales, we're going to see it more in the chest. So if we don't get it, let's say maybe we get the x-rays of the chest, but we don't get the x-rays of the neck, and I don't know that it's collapsing trachea, we might not get it. Or let's say, you know, we take an x-ray of the dog when it's breathing in, or not breathing out, we might not get the correct x-ray of the period of time that has collapsing trachea. The other big problem is, is that these are called a dynamic disease, meaning sometimes the dog's trachea is collapsed and sometimes the dog's trachea is not collapsed. So if you brought brisket in when he's not coughing and his trachea is not collapsing because his cartilage has kind of, like it's very springy, let's say his cartilage when he's coughing is very flat, like a flat straw, but when he's not coughing, it bounces back to a normal straw shaped, then I'm not going to see that on an x-ray until he starts coughing again. And for me to like make a dog cough is impossible. You know, for me to just be like, you know, I don't know if anybody's ever asked, like asked the dog to cough. It just, it doesn't work, right? <laughs> so for us to like make the dog cough to make it do that at that moment is almost impossible versus when we have those dogs that are coming in in respiratory distress like they are coughing they cannot breathe because their trachea is collapsed we're gonna find it on those x-rays but even still for those dogs who are like mild symptoms we're still doing those x-rays so that we can rule out other things we're still looking for those heart problems we're still looking for bronchitis we're still looking for you know that those um like things like similar things to pulmonary hypertension. Pulmonary hypertension is very difficult to see on an x-ray, but we're looking for things that might lead us to potential pulmonary hypertension. But, or even like foreign bodies that are in the trachea, we're looking for all of those things on an x-ray so we can rule out that it's not something else. Okay. The next big thing that people can use, we don't have it at our place, but they can go to a specialist and they can use something called fluoroscopy. So um, if anybody's seen those, the dental x-rays that Kathy and Sherry use, so imagine that little gun, they can, use, it's something similar to that, but it's on like a stand or like if you've been to the dentist and you see that, um, that x-ray thing that they kind of move around, right? And take pictures of your teeth. It's very similar to that. It's like this tube of x-rays that they take, except that it is taking, it's like taking x-rays essentially constantly in real time. So the benefit of this is a couple things. One, the dog doesn't have to be asleep. Like it's like you taking your dental x-rays, you don't have to be asleep for it. They just like do it. Same thing for the dogs when they're taking these like x-rays. They don't have to have the dog asleep. They can just like take these x-rays or fluoroscopies, just these images of the dog being awake and and they can do it throughout the whole dog. So they can do it from all the way from the top of the trachea all the way down to the cervical trachea, the thoracic trachea, the bronchi primary bronchi, tertiary bronchi, sorry, secondary bronchi, tertiary bronchi, they can look through the whole thing. And if they can find that it collapses, then fantastic. Then they'll be able to, to see, you know, this collapse and know that that's what it is. Here's the big problem. Just like with my dog on x-ray, if brisket doesn't cough during that exam of the fluoroscopy, you're not going to catch it, right? So, 
great that the dog's awake. We don't have to put him under anesthesia. Less problems for the dog if it has to go under anesthesia, but then it has to cough. Again, trying to get these dogs to cough, almost impossible. So can you imagine like the technician in there who has to work with these internal medicine specialists and they're just like rubbing this dog's throat constantly, like ask, like yelling at it to cough, probably not yelling at it, but asking it to cough, you know, just be like, cough dog, please just cough, you know. <laughs> All right. And then the third one, that's kind of the most definitive one. That's called a tracheobronchoscopy. So you know that tube with the camera that we put down into the dog when we go to get a foreign body endoscopy? So it's very similar to that, except for it's a lot smaller than that. Real teeny tiny. So it goes, it's a tiny little camera that goes down into the trachea and into the bronchi so it can see if there's any collapse like they can they can literally go into the trachea to see and they can go into the bronchi to see if it's collapsing they can also like look at all the structures they can look to see if that muscle is is collapsing they can look to see if there's anything like ulcers and foreign bodies and things like that they can also when they put the dog under anesthesia they can look to see like is there any laryngeal paralysis as well um the pros and cons of this is like the cons are going to be we have to put the dog under anesthesia which can be a scary thing especially if the dog is is having respiratory problems already but the pros are like you're going to get a pretty definitive diagnosis. And if there isn't anything that they see on there, the next best thing that they're going to be able to do is take samples of things. They can take biopsies of things if they see a mass in there. They can take samples of the fluid that's in there because if, let's say they think that maybe there's an infection in there instead. They can take samples of the fluid that's in there. But they can like physically see it collapsing as it's happening. Like, you know, they don't have to wait for the dog to collapse. They can physically see all of this happening. All right. So after we've kind of like hopefully diagnosed it, you know, we can worry about management and treatment and stuff. Unfortunately, since I don't have doing, you know, fluoroscopy and tracheobronchoscopy, I only have x-rays. We have to kind of think about our other differentials. So if I do an x-ray and I don't see that there is an obvious tracheal collapse, I either have to say, you know, talk to the owners and say, look, I think that this is a tracheal collapse. We can't see this on an x-ray, but this is the most common thing. You know, the way that you're describing this, the honking cough sounds very, you know, very um, symptom that could sounds most consistent with it being a collapsing trachea. But here are the other things that this could potentially be. You know, this could be a heart disease. This could be bronchitis. It could be things like weird things like heartworm disease. Uh, not a common thing in our area, but it's becoming more common. You know, it could be something cancerous. If it's a pug, maybe it could be brachycephalic syndrome. Maybe it's actually kennel cough. You know, I'm asking owners, like, did you bring your dog to the uh, to a boarding facility lately or to the groomers or somewhere where it was around new dogs? Do you take it to the dog parks? Maybe this is just kennel cough. You know, maybe this is laryngeal paralysis. Like, there's lots of different things that this could potentially be. And then, you know, if it's not, if I've kind of like ruled a lot of these things out and I've done whatever testing I can, you know, I've done x-rays and not seen heart disease and I don't see anything that looks like bronchitis, we've done a 4DX or the heartworm test and it's negative, then maybe I'm just treating symptomatically for if it is potentially an infectious thing like kennel cough or, or some sort of infectious thing like upper respiratory tract infections, things like that. And if not, then we kind of assume that it's going to be something like a collapsing trachea. There is a grading system to this too. Uh, so people always ask like, how bad is this? Well, technically there is a grading system. You can grade them one, two, three, and four. One is the least worst and then four is the worst. So one is going to be like if the trachea collapse is only like 25% versus grade four is going to be it collapsed 100%. Okay. And then how do we treat these guys? So the chihuahua that Jordan brought in is going to be treated much differently than brisket's going to be treated. 
Okay, so the Chihuahua, we're the one that's Disnick, Tkipnik, it is like dying at this moment, right? So we need to get it immediately into oxygen and immediately sedated. This is always a risky thing because if we sedate the dog, that's it, there is a chance that it could could unfortunately pass away just because we're sedating them. But if we don't sedate them, they're also going to pass away. Right? So for sedation, we're usually like looking for Torb is kind of the most common go-to. Sometimes we'll use like diazepam or morphine or or methadone. Um, some people will use acepromazine, but it's not as common because if we don't know that there's not a heart problem or something, then you don't want to you don't want to give ACE right away if we don't know that there's a heart problem. Sometimes we'll use a steroid, especially if we know if there's a brachycephalic syndrome dog, then we're probably going to give it a steroid because we want to try to decrease as much inflammation as possible. As that dog is getting worked up, you know, we're causing more and more inflammation, which is collapsing that trachea more and more. And then also whatever it is that we're finding, we're treating those other symptoms as well. If the dog has heart problems and then we see it has heart failure, we're treating the heart failure. If we take x-rays and we see that the dog has now also has um, you know, bronchitis, we're also treating the bronchitis. You know, we're trying to treat the other things as well as the immediate life, you know, life-threatening problem. And then hopefully if we can get that patient out of oxygen, get them calmed down, and get them to the point to where they can go home, then some of the medical management stuff that we can do at home are going to be things to help decrease the cough. So sometimes that's using an anti-tussive. So anti-tussive means something that's going to prevent a cough. So usually that's hydrocodone. We did have Torb. Uh, Torb is really difficult to come by as a pill nowadays, but that was something that we always did use. And then you'll also see us use Serenia now. Serenia is used for like so many crazy things, right? Like you see us give a Serenia out like candy. It's like vitamin C, basically. So Serenia can be used for like a lot of anti-inflammatory things, and this is one of them. It can be used as an anti-inflammatory of the lungs and the trachea. So you'll sometimes see us give Serenia as well. Sometimes we use an intermittent steroid, so using like prednisone um, or using fluticasone. Fluticasone is also called Flovent. That is the inhalers that you see. Uh, that's usually going to be used for when you have something specifically like in the bronchi though, not going to be something of the trachea. It doesn't work really well on the trachea itself, but it will help with those secondary and tertiary bronchi. And then other things like bronchodilators. Again, it's got to be of the bronchi. It's not going to work on the trachea, but like we talked about, you can definitely have not just the trachea, but also the bronchi that are affected as well. So the bronchodilators are going to be things called theophylline, terbutaline. Terbutaline is the one that we have in the hospital. And then albuterol. So you talk about people who have asthma and they take their rescue inhaler. That's albuterol. So albuterol is their rescue inhaler. And that's all these are going to be for like lower airway diseases. Other things that we might do for management at home are going to be like antibiotics because we don't know if they have a respiratory tract infection. A lot of these dogs who can't who, who have these collapsing tracheas, we, one of the things that we, our lungs and trachea and bronchi do is not just for gas in exchange for oxygen. It actually like all of those, like all the air that you breathe in, our air has a lot of crap in it. Okay. You're breathing in a lot of stuff and we're, our lungs are there to have like all of this mucus and stuff that you, ex, you expel out. And by doing that, uh, you know, you're coughing stuff up, you're breathing it out, your body's getting rid of it. But think about all those dogs who have collapsing trachea. They can't get any of that out. Dogs who have all of their bronchi that are being squished, they can't get any of that out. <clears throat> so a lot of times all that bacteria just stays in their lungs and they're more likely to get a, to get a pneumonia or to get some sort of infection. And then another big thing is going to be like some sort of anti-anxiety medication. So like trazodone, another thing we hand out like candy, right? Everybody loves trazodone or some sort of sedation. And then the last thing, the fun thing that we, that we um, sometimes give people for pulmonary hypertension. So we're talking about how that vessel sometimes makes it so that they can't breathe very well. It's called sildenafil. That's the medication that we use to treat that. 
If anybody knows what sildenafil is, it's Viagra. So if people, we that's what they originally used Viagra for in the first place was for heart problems. They found that it worked really well for these people who had pulmonary hypertension. And then they just happened to find out that it also worked for guys who had erectile dysfunction. So I'm sure you can imagine like all these guys now who have to like walk into the grocery store or walk into the pharmacy and ask for sildenafil for their dog. I'm sure it's hilarious. Anyways, if medical management doesn't work, the last thing that kind of like our, you know, last thing, last ditch effort thing that you can do is going to be a tracheal stent. There is a lot of controversy as to whether this should be a last ditch effort or if this should be something that they should implement first. There was a paper that came out recently that said, like, hey, if you do this now, there's a better chance, like when it's not as bad, there's a better chance that's not going to get as bad. So maybe you should do it sooner rather than later. So let me tell you what a tracheal stent is first. Um, if you know what, like, you know, around like the pears or the fruit and stuff, fruit and vegetables, like there's like this mesh thing that they put around them. If anybody knows what I'm talking about, it's basically like this mesh tube or like, you know, the Chinese finger traps. That's another good one. Chinese finger traps. It's like that mesh tube, right? It's essentially like that. And they put it into the trachea and it basically is just a structure to hold the trachea up. So we're creating a, a, just this framework for the trachea to hold everything up. The complications to it can be that it's something that the body knows shouldn't be there. And so it tends to form scar tissue on either side of the openings of that stent. And then that opening becomes smaller. Or the opposite side of that is that then... Now the other sides of that that stent then are like, well, I don't need to be held up. And then they start to collapse. And then tends to be that you have to remove that stent and then put it in a bigger stent. And you kind of do this over and over until you get to the point where you can't put a stent in. That only hap- is only works for the trachea. It's a tracheal stent. It doesn't work for the bronchi. Uh, so if anybody remembers Cammie, poor little, poor little Cammie, the little Pomeranian, she had a tracheal stent, but she also had the problem that she had her bronchi were collapsed as well. So she would still have collapsing trachea problems, even though she had a tracheal stent and her tracheal stent worked great. She had a pretty big one because she had to have it removed, I think a couple of times if I remember correctly, but she could never have the problem of her bronchi being fixed because you just can't get a stent that's going to be that small. And then just at-home management stuff for owners, like things to talk to them about at home is try to remove those inhaled irritants. So like trying to get rid of things like those scentsies or really strong um, smelling candles that might irritate them. Don't smoke in the house. That's going to irritate them. And then if people are going to, like when they mop, like try to put the dog somewhere, you know, that's like going to be in an area that's well ventilated so that they don't have to like inhale all those irritants. Using a harness on them, not a collar, because when they pull on that collar, it's going to cause pressure of the trachea and again, cause that collapse. And then restricting exercise only for the dogs who have problems during exercise. If that dog coughs during exercise, then yeah, restrict exercise for that dog. But if that dog doesn't cough when it exercises, then take that dog on a walk. Like, let's get that dog, you know, to be less obese. Like, exercise is good for them. We want them to be exercised. We still want them to be a dog. Like, what's, you know, we, we want them to enjoy their life still. But if that's a dog that just coughs constantly during exercise, then unfortunately we got to limit that exercise. Keeping them out of the heat is another big one. You know, so when it's summertime, keeping them indoors in a nice cool area is going to be a good thing. And then weight loss. Weight loss is going to be another important one. Uh, so limiting their food, talking to people about like not giving them as many treats. You know, if they're going to give them treats, make sure it's things like green beans or carrots or something that's going to be like really 
it's going to be like filling, but has zero to no calories, right? Something that's going to be not, that's going to help them with their weight loss journey, not steak and, and bones and, and all these things are just going to cause them to be more obese. And then sometimes people are like, well, I only feed them a quarter of a cup. I don't understand how they are still obese. You know, then I'm usually talking to them about like, well, yes, you feed them a quarter of a cup, but then you also fed them three pepperonis and and five, you know, pieces of your steak and you gave them your ice cream and you know, all of these things add up. So it's gotta be just just putting them on that diet to get them to to help them breathe. Otherwise, unfortunately, this disease is gonna progress a lot faster. And then what's the prognosis for these guys? So the best prognosis is going to be those dogs with minimal tracheal collapse and no complicating factors. So a little brisket with him just having like a honking cough every once in a while, he's going to have the best prognosis at that moment because he had, you know, just, we couldn't find it on an x-ray. It was really minimal, intermittent, no other problems versus that chihuahua that Jordan brought in is not looking good. He's got a poor prognosis because he probably has a grave prognosis, but not looking good, right? Because he can't breathe. Um, He probably has something else going on with him. Most likely has a heart problem because he's a chihuahua. You know, there's lots of other things. Like if you're getting to that point, it's not a good prognosis. This is irreversible. There's no way that we're going to give any medication or do anything that's going to fix that problem. And then lastly, like some people ask, like, well, in the beginning I said, you know, some people think that the um, glycosamine and glycans, that they they might just be deficient in that. So why don't we just give them those? Because it's a supplement that you can pick up at any store. Well, they don't know that it helps anything. Is it going to be wrong to give it to them? No. Is it going to fix the problem? Probably not. But is it going to hurt them? No. So could you give it? Sure. You know, it's not going to hurt them. So if you want to give that, go right ahead. It's not going to hurt anything. It's, it might help. Who knows? Um, otherwise, there's not really any other necessarily supplements to, to really help with it, unfortunately. Really, it's just like as much at-home management of things as possible, You know, knowing that you have a small breed dog that most likely is going to have this problem. Just don't put a collar on them, put a harness on them instead to be able to walk them, keeping them out of the heat, you know, doing all those things that you would already do if you already knew that they probably had a collapsing trachea. All right. I think that that is all I got for you guys. Um, I have a ton of of requests for things. And I, at the moment, can only do one a week. So we'll see if I end up doing more than one a week after this. Um, My kids go back to school in September. So I'm hoping that I'm going to be able to do some with some other people. Uh, You can look forward to Dr. Z is going to do one on diabetes. I believe that Dr. Larson is going to do one with me on just some communication skills. And I'm also going to do one on finances with um, some of the managers. So I'm just going to kind of go over financial stuff myself and then just like talk to the managers about finances and like how they talk to people about finances. And otherwise, like I said, I'll still do more on all of these diseases. Um, I love the fact that you guys have been coming up to me with like all of these suggestions. I have a huge list of suggestions, so I will definitely be working my way through all of these suggestions. I really appreciate everybody asking me for them. And um, yeah, I, I greatly appreciate you guys. Thank you very much. So the story I was going to tell you guys was um, about my vacation. Some of my Overnight technicians have already heard about this, but uh, we went on vacation to Pacific City, and there's this sand dune thing, this really, really tall sand dune, right? And my son decided he wanted to go up the sand dune, and I was there with my friend who, she's got a knee problem, she's like, I cannot do the sand dune. I was like, no, it's okay. We don't have to do the sand dune. And I was there with my daughter, who 
really wanted to go up the sand dune. And I was like, I know you're going to go up like, you're going to take three steps up and you're going to fall to the ground and be like, no, I can't do it. And then my son, who's like, I'm doing this. And then I was there with my cousin and he was like, I'll take Oren up. I was like, all right, cool. So they decided to go up and it takes them like 20-ish minutes to get up the sand dune, right? So we're at the bottom of the sand dune watching them. And Abigail is just like, climbs up three three portion like three little steps and like i said just falls to the ground and was like ah so hard i was like i knew you were gonna do that i'm like we're not climbing this sand dude and then my my cousin and my son are like struggling up this sand dune like this thing has got to be a workout to get up this thing we're watching all these other crazy people trying to climb this sand dune but more more entertaining was everybody trying to come down this sand dune. So you see people hiking it up there with these, with their skis and their snowboards. And like, I see one person go down on their skis and they're, they're like ready, like ready, primed and ready to like fly down this, this sand dune. And instead they just like get stuck in the sand. <laughs> and then they have like a couple seconds later and then they get stuck in the sand and then they go down a little bit more and they get stuck in the sand. And he had somebody else who they tried to do their snowboard and their snowboard got caught like on the side and then they just went tumbling down, down the sand dune. So finally my son and my cousin get up to the top of the sand dune. And so I grip my, my camera out and I'm like taking pictures of like how high they are on the sand dune. And I get like this, also get this epic picture. I'm trying to get how high they are. And the seagull like flies over in the middle of the picture. It was great. But so we're like photobombed by this seagull. But I'm like waiting for my son to come down. And he's like not coming down and not coming down and not coming down. So I was going to get a video of him coming down this giant sand dune that everybody like tries to run down. But my but he's like not coming down. And so my daughter asked for something. And so I turn around to go get something for her. And as I turn back around, I see my son flying down the side of the sand dune and before i'm able to get my phone out he just face plants right into the sand and i was like oh geez he's gonna freak out when he gets up and i see my cousin like stop and like turn around and he looks down at me and he's just like oh shit what's gonna happen and you know, we both and we both kind of look over at Oren and he gets up and he just like gives me this thumbs up and he's like, that was great. Did you get it on video? Can we send it to America's most funniest videos? <laughs> it's like, I did not get that on video, buddy. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I was like, did you want to do it again? He's like, no, <laughs> it was great. He ended up going back up the hill and running back down it again and not face planting the first second time, but you just like saw him face plant and like slide down the mountain on his face. Uh, he, he did get a little bit of a sand burn on his face, but other than that, he was fine. It was great. All right. Well, again, thank you guys. Um, I really appreciate you guys listening to this. And uh, like I said, if you have any questions, comments, anything, suggestions, suggestions for how to make the podcast better. If you guys want to come on the podcast, um, I'm hoping that uh, some of the other people I'm going to be able to get on as well are going to be Dr. K to talk about his TTA stuff. And I'm hoping maybe Ken will talk about his uh, therapy stuff and Dr. Wilsius will talk about her acupuncture stuff. And I'd love for some of the technicians to come on here. Like I said, this podcast is for you guys. Like I want you guys to be able to like talk about whatever it is you want to do. Anything, anything you want to talk about. So if you guys want to come on, I'd really appreciate that. All right, thanks again, guys.